0: Welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by our guest speaker, Pastor Charles Wilson, Senior Pastor at The Hill Church in Roanoke, Virginia, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the sermon, go to our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today, or to view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Pastor Charles for another edition of Tabernacle Today.
1: Good morning, church. Thank you so much for just your warm welcome and kind words and wonderful worship this morning. Uh, As mentioned, my name is Charles Wilson, Uh, my wife and I both born and raised in southern New Jersey. Uh, If you're not familiar, uh, you probably think New York or something Jersey Shore, but I promise you it's a lot more like Danville than Uh, any of those places. Um, We relocated to Dallas, Texas around 2008 uh, to finish school and to work at a church there. And our our oldest son graduated in 2016, and he wanted to go into film and video. And so we wanted to make sure he got a biblical worldview wherever he went. And so we brought him down to Lynchburg to visit Liberty, and he fell in love with Liberty And so we dropped him off there with and also a lot of our money. Um, (laughs) And he uh, did like any uh, student does this there for a while. He found a young lady there that was actually from New Jersey. So we moved from New Jersey to Texas and he finds uh, a wife at Liberty from New Jersey. And uh, we are expecting our first grand boy in April. And we are so excited about that. Um, and just what that means for us as uh, grandparents. And then our younger son is 21. He's in Atlanta at school, and the rest of our money is there, (laughs) and he is doing well. Um, But in 2016, when we dropped him off on the way back, uh, we stopped at a town to get ice cream. My wife wanted ice cream, and so we stopped uh, about 45 minutes outside of Lynchburg in a town called Roanoke, Virginia and she found some ice cream there. And we found a friend that we knew from this Christian camp called Kids Across America. And this group out of Roanoke would take people there every year. And so we hit him up while we were there, and he met us across town and gave us a little tour and took us up to the Star. And on that trip there, the Lord began to work on our hearts back to Dallas. And we felt called to come plant a church in Roanoke, Virginia. And so if you've followed our life. We were born and raised in Southern New Jersey and spent 10 years in Dallas, Texas. And then we moved to Roanoke, Virginia. And we were pretty open. We told the Lord, wherever you want to send us. Uh, We didn't think the Lord was calling us to church plant, only because when we were first part of a church plant, it was very hard and challenging. And then we were on staff at a large church and they had a lot of resources and ministry was a lot easier. Um, I had a retirement plan. And then uh, when the Lord started calling us to church plant, Uh, to a place that had a lot of challenges and no resources we were like surely lord this isn't your call on our life but on that trip the lord began to work on our hearts and we packed up june 20 june of 2017 um, the 23rd we relocated to roanoke virginia and we spent two years in the city just learning the city the one thing we learned about dallas is it took us a long time to get an understanding of dallas and so we wanted to give the Lord time to help us see what the city needed and why he was calling us there. And so we visited uh, many churches in the city. We worshiped. Uh, we didn't want to be people who said, you know, no one here is preaching the gospel, so we're bringing the gospel. We wanted to see what the Lord was doing. We wanted to learn the history. And upon spending those two years there, we realized that there was a challenging history there and we wanted to plant a church. Um, And after coming back from a mission trip with disaster relief to Puerto Rico, we felt called to plant in the Northwest quadrant of our city. The Northwest quadrant is one of the more challenging parts of our city. People who plant churches don't plant in the Northwest part of the city. And so we felt called to do that. And then on top of that, we realized the Lord was calling us to plant a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. And we grew up going to churches that were homogenous and they were not diverse. And so we had no clue how to do that in our city. And so we just spent those two years learning, worshiping, spending time, building relationships, and traveling to other places to learn how to do that in a way that glorified the Lord. And so in 2019, we launched our church. Um, it was amazing. Uh, And I said earlier, we came from a large church, about 5,000 people. And so we launched our church and our uh, launch day, we had about 89 people come. And I was like, wow, I had more volunteers in my youth ministry than on that day. But I had to recalibrate myself for what it meant to be in a smaller town and what it meant to reach people who weren't typically looking for the gospel. Uh, On that first day outside, I stood and I shook hands and I met two witches. Um, I'd never met witches before. Um, I read about them in seminary and in some books and some TV shows, but I'd never met someone who practiced. Uh, and so it was completely ground shaking for me to realize the terrain and the soil that we were turning over in our context. Now, I don't want you to think all of Roanoke is filled with, I'm just telling you, when I, when I got out front, um, it, it, I preached the gospel, I promise you, and I thought I did a great job. And they both said they really enjoyed it. Um, and there were some other people there who had different beliefs that said they enjoyed service. And so from there, um, we grew down to 60 people the following week, which was pretty um, encouraging. And then, um, because we launched on Easter, and so we knew going into the summer it would be challenging. And then one Sunday, it was just us and our leadership team. And so uh, things were going in a great direction for us there. And then, obviously, 2020 came around. We had grown to about 40 members in our church. And then um, things shut down, and we were online like everyone else and became a televangelist. Um, And our church coming out of when we were able to start gathering began to grow. And that next year, we had grown to about 70 people. And we closed on an old facility right in the heart of where we wanted to be. Um, in Northwest Roanoke, it was Villa Heights Baptist Church that left in '89. Um, they rented it out a few times and then it became completely destroyed. It's about 45,000 square foot facility, and the Lord blessed us with that right before 2020, by the way. And so it was maybe two months before the shutdown. Um, and so we were worried about our church going forward and then we took on a full building to renovate at the same time. Had, I didn't know how we were going to survive and go forward. My wife, who's just a great woman of faith, Never worried at all. And so coming out, we did a fundraiser for our building to start the first phase. Um, We were blessed with a facility downtown to use for free for almost a year. And then we were giving another church that didn't need as much work as the one we're renovating now. So we spent some time renovating that and that's where we meet today. We have about hundred people, 110 people who are members of our church, our children and youth ministry is doing well. Those are two priorities for us in a challenging context and a challenging uh, community. We want to spend our time and our energy discipling young people. We want to reach them before the concrete dries. Uh, We want to make sure that we can be in their lives as soon as possible. So we have a full-time youth director and a part-time children's director. Um, and things are going well. Um, we are raising up a young minister now who's preaching for me this morning, um, which is pretty exciting for our church. And we are hoping to finish the first phase of our building within the next year. And so please be in prayer with us as we're finishing uh, raising up the funds for that. We thank you for your support. They say church plants do two things for established churches that when Churches are a part of supporting a church plant. Their church gets ignited and excited about new life happening. And if a church plant can survive, for five years to become sustainable, they are more likely to be around for 90 years than other churches. And so next April, not this one, but the following April will be our fifth year anniversary. And the growth that we're seeing now and the things that are happening, we look like we're going to hit that five years and Lord willing, we will continue on until he returns. And so please be in prayer for us. And you can always look in on our website to see how we're doing and how we're being faithful to where the Lord has called us to be. Uh, This morning, I want to preach from a passage out of Philippians. Uh, If you have your Bible, uh, chapter 1, I'll start reading at verse 12. Listen to all those wonderful paper Bibles. I love it. My young church is all digital and... Chapter 1, verse 12. And the apostle writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. And Father, as we join and read and listen, meditate on the proclaiming of your word, I pray that you will encourage us, challenge us, excite us, direct us to where maybe this week we may need to go or what we need to be involved in. Father, I pray that you are glorified and honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, by this time in Paul's life, he has learned a few things. This isn't his first rodeo. This isn't his first time being in prison. Uh, he has actually become pretty familiar with what it's like to be in prison and restricted. We can tell in this letter that he has learned a few things just simply because of his attitude, giving his circumstances. Uh, He has learned that prison actually is part of his journey. He has learned that the gospel is never restricted or limited, which is something that would be hard for a young minister to understand because for a young minister or someone who is young in the faith, it is probably having visibility or being seen or having access to people or a big platform. But the Apostle Paul at this point in his life has learned that that doesn't always mean the advance, uh, the, the premier advancement in this place in his life. He is writing this letter back to a church that he had planted many years previously. We know by some of his writing later in the book that there are some things happening in the church. There are two women who are not getting along in the church. There is some um, um, not really working together happening in the church that he is going to address. And we also know that over and over, I think it's almost 16 times, he uses the word joy, which seems to be the last word you would use given his circumstance, Given his limitations and given his imprisonment, I couldn't imagine thinking of using the word joy or having joy or being anywhere near joy. But for Paul, it's become part of who he is. In fact, he has found a way to turn his chains into charm bracelets. He has found a way to turn his imprisonment into a megaphone for the gospel, He has found his audience to be the ones during that time that he is called to minister to. He's utilizing the opportunity before him. He isn't wasting it. And he is finding actual fruit in that place. Here in the 12th verse, he says that, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. That the gospel is going forward. But then he says at the end where I read, "Um, but this has happened because I am in Christ. And what Paul is doing here is he is adjusting uh, the theology for the readers or the people who are hearing about what's happening to Paul. And he is saying, listen, sometimes being in Jesus and following Jesus, some of the blessing of that could be your imprisonment or different times that the Lord may want to use. I know I always try to avoid challenges. My prayers don't say, Lord, lead me to challenges. It is usually give me the wings of eagles so that I can fly over those challenges, right? I, that, that's, I only want the wings of eagles. I want to avoid them. I want to go around them. I don't want to go through them, but I'm pretty sure there's a few people in here today that would Uh, testify and say that that your faith has been uh, strengthened because of what God has brought you through. Maybe the apostle is trying to share with the church that the Lord gives great anchors for us to make it through storms. And the evidence sometimes of his faithfulness isn't this big miracle in the middle of it, but it's just simply the testimony that you've made it through. Man, it's a different way of thinking. That's a different way of understanding our relationship with the Lord. And Paul is telling the church, it is because of my personal relationship with Jesus and the ministry that he has given me that I find myself in this prison. That if I would just let go of Jesus or some of the things I believe, I probably could avoid prison. But because of my relationship." But because of uh, his faithfulness to me and my love for him, that I find myself in this place. And since I'm in this place, then I might as well serve him here. Now, Paul's attitude, you know, a young Paul would have been a little different. He saw things different. He saw his interactions differently. But now Paul has been massaged by the Holy Spirit to think about challenges differently. And if there's one thing I want to encourage you with and and for you to leave today, if you don't get anything else, it is to make sure you are looking at the things before you as opportunities to advance the gospel, no matter what it is, no matter what it looks like and no matter what it feels like. Now, Paul, by the Spirit, is pinning this letter, challenging even what some of us may think today about the things in front of us. But he is thinking about or writing to a church that he has fond memories of. In Acts 16, we find Paul planning this church. Um, Paul, if you could turn there real fast, I'm going to give you the quick tour of what was happening. Paul and Barnabas, chapter 15, they, they broke up like the Beatles. Paul really wasn't there. You know, this is a younger Paul. He really wasn't excited about what Barnabas had done, and he wasn't willing to go back out with him in ministry. And then going down, they're like, we're going to go back, and we're going to strengthen, and we're going to minister to some of the churches um, that we had gone to before. So they're on their way back to go where they were going. Chapter 16, verse 6, says. in verse 7, it says, When they came to Mysteria, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing to Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And the first thing I see here is we have a leader, an apostle who has a mission steps that the Lord had to redirect. And he had to go through a few different things to get him to see that he wanted him to go somewhere else. The apostle Paul at this point had a, um, he stuck to a very similar pattern when it came to planting churches. That he traveled through the region, he traveled through the area, and his first stop usually was the local synagogue. And he would show up in the synagogue and he would have a message for them that they would connect to. He would be able to identify with their history and some of the things they look forward to. And he would say that Jesus is the fulfillment of those things we were looking forward to. He is the Messiah. And so he definitely wasn't looking for some off-road traveling to minister to people. But Jesus didn't really care about Paul's plan. In fact, he had to go through a little bit of trouble to get his servant to go somewhere else. I could be like that sometimes. I I like doing things in the comfort of where my strengths are. I like to minister um, in a classroom where the chairs and tables are set out in a certain way because I was raised by baby boomers. And those baby boomers taught me to set up rows and to have people sitting in a certain way um, and it should be an ordered classroom until I became a youth pastor in Dallas where I had uh, baby boomers all the way down to Gen Xers teaching the class. And when I would walk through the hallway and I'd look in every classroom, I noticed something that every generation that was teaching had their classroom set up in a different way. <laughs> and everyone thought the other person was doing it wrong. <laughs> but what was beautiful was each one was very effective. Everyone had their style. They leaned into their strengths and they were able to minister to the children, to the students in a way that helped change their lives. And if you would take one of them and put them in a different classroom, they would change it pretty quickly because they would say, this is is wrong. I need to have the chalkboard here and these chairs need to be set up this way. but, But the reality is the goal is really getting the information to the student and not the comfort of the leader. And this is what Paul learns here: is that the Lord was taking him off course, was taking him into a different direction, and it wasn't his favorite way of doing ministry. You have a favorite way of doing ministry. You have a very strong opinion on how things should be done. As I get older, I'm realizing the things that I thought was the only way of doing it are not always right. And that the Lord is doing all types of great, amazing things in ways that I think are wrong. In fact, I would probably argue with him, Lord, you can't do it that way. (laughs) This is how we've always done it. And this is what Paul knows in Philippians when he's writing this in the prison cell. But he didn't know this when he was planning the church. And so it says, they set out to see went down and found a Roman colony, Philippi, verse 12, the city of the district of Macedonia. They stayed in the city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city by the river. They couldn't find a synagogue. Where we expected to find a place of prayer, we sat down and spoke with the women with the, with the gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer of purple from the city of Titeria, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay in my house. Paul says, and she persuaded us. Now, you have to think about the context here. Paul has been traveling, sleeping in tents. It's a pretty rough road. There are no hotels where he's going. And so Lydia, a seller of purple, which means she is probably a businesswoman. She is probably a white-collar worker. Um, she probably has Egyptian cotton sheets at her house. The persuasion for Paul and the people and the team to stay there wasn't too hard. And Paul ministered to her. It says that her household became Believers. Paul is taken off course, and the Lord does something wonderful in Lydia's life. He has now reached a household. He's reached a person, all because the Lord disrupted his plans. She wasn't on the list. She wasn't in the direction he was going. He was going in a different direction, but she was on Jesus's mind. How many people do we miss? Because we go this usual routes. We do it the way we've always done it. Well, let's continue on with this young Paul in verse 16. Once we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High. She did this for many days. And the Bible reads in verse 18, Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, context. They were walking through the town. This woman who was a slave, she had owners, she had a gift of of predicting the future. Uh, Paul recognized this, but it wasn't because Paul was trying to plant and build this amazing church. In fact, Luke kind of tells his heart here, he was just annoyed. He was annoyed that she was actually telling the truth. It's almost as if he bumped into this opportunity for the Lord to do something. And the Lord did. The Bible says that the spirit left her and her owners became upset. Now, in our context today, this would be human trafficking, that some people were using her for the benefit of their gain and they didn't care about her. In fact, it says here that they weren't upset that she was delivered or healed or in her right mind. They were upset because the money that they were going to make off of her was gone. It says in verse 19, when the owners realized that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They brought them before the chief magistrates. These men are are seriously disturbing our city, and they are Jews, and they are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt and practice. The crowd joined and attacked them. The chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer and the guard guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. So, what was Paul's reward for being faithful to Jesus? Prison. He he ministers to Lydia and her household. The slave girl is freed from the spirit in which that she was doing this stuff from. They are beaten. And it says, look, guard them carefully. But remember, in... Uh, Philippians, Paul has an understanding that he is where he is because of Jesus. It doesn't say this here, but he understands his imprisonment is because of Jesus. He understands um, that the Lord uses these opportunities. And so what happens to Paul after this happens? Paul is thrown into prison. What do you do in prison after uh, ministry isn't going the way that you want it to go? Obviously, you look over to your friend and you're, you're the person you've been doing ministry with and you start complaining. You say, "Man, if we would have done it this way, things would be happening here. Or if we never came here, maybe Jesus wasn't trying to bring us here." No, that's not what Paul does in this moment. Verse 25 says at midnight, at the darkest time, they begin to sing hymns to God. They begin to pray. At midnight, Where it seemed like everything was going wrong. Where it seemed like things weren't going the way that they wanted. They just started to sing. I've learned over the years that there are times where I just don't know what the Lord is up to. I don't know what his plans are. And he's really not interested in always giving me the next step. Or making it super clear. And so I've learned to just pray. I'm not a good singer, even though people say all the time, I look like John Legend. (laughs) I do sing. It's usually by myself. Or if the song is on, I'll sing with it. And it does do something for me. It reminds me that he is with me no matter what's happening. And when I'm singing songs that are filled with truth and theology, it helps me understand that God is huge and he is big and his ways aren't my ways and I am just, I am super small. In this situation, it says that when he was singing and they were praying, that the prisoners were listening to them. It's one of the most powerful lines in this. Because they told the guards to watch them carefully. But the Lord in his sovereignty has placed the apostle Paul and and these guys right in the middle of the prison and all of the prisoners were looking at them. And what were they seeing? Two followers of Jesus in the same condition that they're in. But there was a liberation in their hearts in the midst of their imprisonment that they didn't have. They became a billboard in that moment for the people around them. Suddenly, the Lord takes that and says in 26, the violent earthquake happens and the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up, He saw the doors of the prison standing open. He drew his sword and he was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. The understanding is if you would have lost them, then his life would have been lost and he thought all hope was lost so let's get the scene right paul is in the middle of a challenging situation he chooses to worship and praise the lord in that moment the onlookers are watching this and the lord shows up in a powerful way that the chains come off of them that they are they are free there and then the jailer looks he sees that he is he is lost the doors are open he's lost the guys and paul screams out don't do harm to yourself we are still here This is the same person that beat on him. This is the same person that had done him harm. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone else in the house. I think it is in chapter 16 where Paul's planning this church. He is remembering this church that he has planted. He's remembering his experience. And so the next time or when he's writing this in prison, he is remembering what God has done and what God can do. It has to be the work of the Lord in his heart to cause him to care about the jailer in this situation. I don't always think kind thoughts on people who hurt me. Even on this side of salvation, I have to work through forgiving people properly. Recognizing that the Lord may want to use this opportunity or this conflict to reach them through me. And this is what happens. Paul preaches the gospel, not just for him, but for his household. It says that he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds right away. He and his family were baptized. Now, you may have read this a few times. You may be familiar with this. You may have heard what I just read and and we just rushed right through it. But But you need to feel the tension in this passage. The very people who inflicted the pain and the harm on them now are put in a position to wash their wounds. I'm talking about the person who beat on them is now asking for their hands so that they could be a part of the healing. Can you feel the tears that were probably running down the face of the people who had just beat a few hours on these very people and now are part of the process of their healing? How do you? Do that. How do you enter in and become part of the process? To cook some food for them, to minister to them. It, it only happens by the power of the Spirit of God. And this is a beautiful picture. This is the workings of the church in Philippi. This is who Paul is writing to. He's writing to Lydia and maybe the young lady that was being trafficked. The the prison guards and the jailer and this whole family are now part of this church in Philippians, Philippi, that Paul is thinking about. He is writing to. He is writing with joy to this church. Could you imagine the potlucks at this church? Lydia is showing up with this casserole that she learned from her grandmother. While the jailer, he's coming through with some collard greens, with the hog maws, and he's, he's learned a few things in the kitchen with his mom. And, and can you just imagine the smells and the aroma of this church? This is a diverse church. This is a people from different cultures in the midst worshiping together, all because the Spirit of God was doing something powerful in this chapter, in which it was not Paul's plan to do this, but it was the Lord's plan. What are the opportunities that we are missing? Is it because of the challenges? Is it because of our location? Is it because of the... Maybe those are platforms and opportunities for the advancement of the gospel and not limitations. Maybe we need to give the Lord more freedom in leading us and directing us in how we do things. Even our stumbling out of frustration... Can become an opportunity paul was in prison by accident because he uh, spoke back to that woman and the lord used it as, as, a, as a as a gospel bomb in that community now listen to in philippians an older paul he's talking about some of the opposition that he is facing He's talking about how some of them are being encouraged in verse 14. He says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. He's saying that me being in prison here right now has charged up some of the believers who are in jail to realize that being in prison isn't a rebuke of the Lord, but it's actually part of his plan. And that maybe they haven't sinned or fallen short. Maybe this is where God wants them to minister. And they are now speaking boldly, fearlessly. Then he goes, well, verse 15, I got to be honest. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love. Knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, the others preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. I lecture at Liberty on Tuesdays and This Thursday, I was sitting in on a class and the conversation was about um, the motives of different pastors. And, And some of the students started highlighting some pastors who aren't faithful to the text and faithful to the gospel. And it reminded me of this passage because this is what Paul is saying. He goes, some of them preach because they have motives that are just not genuine and they're not good and they don't like me. And so they're speaking in this way. Some of them do it for this reason. Some of them are good guys. Some of them, their heart's fixed on Jesus. But look what Paul says in verse 18. What does it matter? Now, if you spent any time around the Apostle Paul, this does not sound like him. Paul is an aggressive Confront you to your face. When when Peter was sitting and and he was eating with the Gentiles and he saw the other believers, the Jews, come in, he got up and left the table. And Paul says, I confronted Cephas to his face. That's Paul. This sounds like a more mature Paul. He goes, I know some of them do it for wrong reasons. But what does it matter? He sounds like my dad when he said to me, Son, don't spank your kids. I said, Dad, you took the belt out every time I did something wrong. You sound like a hypocrite, like, what what has happened to you? My dad's a Marine, he was was in my face. He he was like, son, I've learned that everything doesn't require a spanking. I said, who is this guy? (laughs) Who is this guy? And this is what Paul is saying, what does it matter Don't get over fixated on why they're doing it and what's happening there. You can go so deep down that rabbit hole that you'll forget to be faithful to the gospel and you'll forget to humanize and see them as people who are probably going to be with you in glory. Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. Paul is saying, listen, we need to take hold of these opportunities to advance the gospel. If you don't have all the resources, you don't have all the people, or it doesn't look like it's going in the right direction, it is still an opportunity to advance the gospel. And if you get fixated on what they're doing or what's not going right, you could be missing an opportunity. Paul has learned this over the years. Paul is encouraging the church to not get fixated on whatever's causing their division to keep Christ centered. Don't overanalyze what other people are doing. Stay faithful. Move forward. He recognizes that this church has a lot of reasons to be divided, they all come from different walks of life. But don't let that distract you or cause you to be off course. Take advantage. I was up at the star one day, and this lady had come up to me, and she started to share the gospel with me, which I thought was amazing. She was, she was around 70-something years old, and she started giving me some of the history of the city and of the star and how some members of her family were part of the people who first put the star up there. And she said, when I was young, I wanted to be a missionary, and I wanted to travel the world, and I wanted to share Jesus wherever God would send me. But she said, I got married young, and we had children, and I found myself raising the children and never being able to to go off on mission trips. And now my children are grown, and I come up to the star every chance I get. Because I've learned something over my time living here in the city, that people from all over the world, when they travel through Roanoke, they come up to the star. And so I have the opportunity to share the gospel with people from Russia, people from Ukraine, and all over the globe. Instead of thinking that she missed something, she's actually using her opportunity with what she has and how God has shifted our country to be a place where people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ right in a small town called Roanoke, Virginia at the Star. And she's got the most amazing hustle I've ever seen before. Because a 70-something, who's going to turn away and not listen to a 70-year-old sweet woman? And so as soon as she says, baby, can can I ask you a question? She's got you. You're not going anywhere. She doesn't have to chase you down. No one's running away. She has an amazing platform to share the gospel of Jesus Christ every time she goes up to that star. Now, she could just stay home and go to church on Sunday, but she's leveraging what she has for the glory of Jesus. And she showed me this thing of all the different countries she's been able to reach and has never left her hometown. I found that to be powerful, especially as a person who's known he has missed opportunities because I was looking in the wrong direction. One day when I was driving to work, I was listening to a radio broadcast and it was sharing about this coming opportunity. Get in now and invest. It's going to be big to which I'm thinking it's a scam, I'm not really interested. Um, They said they're they're gonna create these things that are gonna be like soda machines. And inside of the soda machine, you, you, you swipe your credit card and a DVD comes out of it. Get in now and you'll make a lot of money. To which I said, this is the silliest idea I've ever heard. I'll just go to Blockbuster or Lee's Video and get my DVD. Why would I put it inside of this soda machine thing? Not knowing things were changing. And the tremendous opportunity was right in front of me that I looked past. Another time I was driving in and they were saying the same thing about getting in on this, at the ground level on this new idea uh, of satellite radio. And if, if you get in now at four or $5,000, you'll make a lot of money. And what we're going to do is put satellites inside of cars. And I went to technical school. And so I said, satellites need to be still pointing at the satellite in outer space in order to how can someone drive down the street? This is a terrible idea. And I look back, kicking myself. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul, through his lived experience, has shown that the Lord had directed him and guided him to an amazing opportunity to advance the gospel. One that he would have looked past and he wasn't being sensitive to because it wasn't the way that he usually does it. And I know it's a lot... It's just more comfortable to do it the way that I like. I was invited to go on a mission trip to Mexico. The missions pastor at our church came to my office and said, Charles, I want you to go on this mission trip. And I said, Michael, I failed Spanish. I'm going to be useless. There's nothing I can do down in Mexico. And he said, okay, and he turned away and he started walking back to his office about five seconds later, I felt so convicted. It was almost as if the Lord was saying to me, "'How dare you? "'I just opened the door for you to be faithful "'and to be used, and you think the opportunities "'to advance the gospel will be in your strengths. "'You know so much about the Bible, "'but you don't realize that it is me who does the work. "'I just need you to go.'" And I went back to Michael's office and said, "'Michael, I'm so sorry. you know, I was a little fearful of going to Mexico, and I don't speak Spanish. And my, I thought my gift was communication. And he, he got me signed up. I went to Mexico. And the entire week we were doing ministry, I, I played soccer with kids. And the kids would come up and try to speak to me in Spanish. And I would say, no, Espanol, I don't know Spanish. And the kids would give me flowers and they would hug me. And we played soccer every day. I shared uh, my testimony with the translator, which was very hard because you got to stop in between. I just felt like it was such an amazing failure of a week. And then I saw all these young people come to Christ when the gospel presentation happened. And then when we were leaving, all these kids lined up and gave me the biggest hug I ever got before in my life. And in their eyes, I could just see how they just appreciated us being there and how the Lord used that moment. And that's when I realized, man, you you think it's you. It's me. And I love people. And I want you to reach people and touch people that you usually wouldn't go to. And I want you to go. You said you would be faithful. You don't get to pick your favorite parts of doing this. I just want you to be faithful. Church. Verse 18, Paul says, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true. Christ has preached, it's as if he understood the most important part of this in any way possible. Any opportunity, maybe this could be an open door Maybe the things that we think are about to be some of the most challenging, difficult things are creating avenues for conversations we didn't have before. Maybe there are openings into communities where we can speak truth and love people and be with people in ways that we couldn't before. Instead of being pessimistic about what's happening and things aren't like they used to be. Maybe we need to ask, Lord, what are you up to? And how can we join in in what you're doing? How can I spend this season of my life the most faithful way possible? How can I utilize the washer and dryer in my house to help some young college student who doesn't have a home? How can that be a platform to minister and reach people that I haven't been able to reach? I don't know what it is for you, but I pray that we spend ourselves in a way that encourages those who are feeling a little weak like Paul when he was in prison and the other believers got encouraged and were on fire. That's what you guys have done for us. Your recent support for us reminded us. it was a call out of nowhere. It was just a reminder that the Lord sees us and he cares about what we're doing and the people we're trying to reach. And he's doing it, to encouraging us through a church that I didn't even know existed. The group of people who are worshiping him every week who, who thought kindly of us to help support us on this mission. Or think about the countless people you support in places that I've never heard of, and maybe some of you have never heard of, but you've been the wind beneath their wings, so that the gospel of Jesus
0: is proclaimed. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today.